0: And I know it starts from inside. So fill your heart with pride and make your light shine brightly, you'll unhide. You're gonna work apart,
1: unforgettable and off the charts.
2: Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. I'm Bailey, with the Recording
0: Library of West Texas.
1: Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a Therapist at Centers for Children and Families.
0: Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you
2: tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised.
3: This, of course, is a mental health podcast, and if you've been with us for a while, thanks for coming along with us on this journey, and if this is your first time joining us, we're glad that you're here. Melanie has come up with special edition episodes related to COVID-19 and how the virus affects your mental health. Some of the recent episodes that we've covered are topics like isolation, depression, and job loss, so make sure to check those out on all major podcast platforms, such as iTunes and SoundCloud. Today we have a very important episode because we are going to talk with a local doctor to find out firsthand what it's like being on the front line during a pandemic. Melanie, you always have great stories to start us out with, and I think you've got something from the Midland Reporter Telegram.
0: I do, in fact, and I, have to, I just have to give ourselves a shout out right now because we've been doing this for a year now. Isn't that great? Yes, a year. It's pretty cool. We're probably at, what, over, over 30 episodes, I think. Oh yes, at least. So, it's been, it's been a, a great joy. We, we love it. And a really great way to connect the community. So, we'll just begin with an article in, uh, the Midland Reporter Telegram. It was a Voices from the Frontlines section. This is uh, an account from a nurse at the hospital that is actually on the floor that is uh, addressing COVID-19 right now. There were times during the weeks Erin Cardona was assigned to the COVID-19 unit when she would walk to her car at the end of her shift and cry. She worried about bringing the virus home, exposing her husband and 12-year-old daughter. She debated staying at a hotel to protect them. She keeps her work shoes in a container in her trunk. Wearing sandals when she leaves her house every day. At the end of each shift, she changes from her hospital scrubs to her home scrubs and washes her hands. Before she gets into her car, she sprays her shoes with disinfectant and puts them in a plastic tub. She wipes down her glasses, bag, and phone and leaves them in the trunk. When she gets home, she takes her clothes off in the mudroom and goes straight to the shower. So we have with us today, uh, Dr. Summer Merritt, who is, uh, the owner of Four Seasons Health. And also, uh, she is a co-founder of Protect Our Front, the Protect Our Frontline Coalition. Uh, welcome, Dr. Merritt. Thank you for, thank you so much for having me. Yes. So the, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Protect Our Frontline Coalition? Sure. So it was, um, it, Kind of happened,
4: I guess, organically in the middle of March, late March, when this, you know, we could tell that uh, COVID-19 was definitely um, in the United States and that it was a real thing and that it had been declared a pandemic. And um, speaking with some physician colleagues, we're in an interesting place in Midland as we're geographically isolated, but we also have a pretty small uh, physician cohort of um, well, physicians that would be taking care of patients with COVID nineteen. You know, several of us were talking on the phone and realized that you know we have two, infect- um, we have two infectious disease specialists. We only had one at the time. We have two pulmonologists or lung specialists. One of whom um, was having some medical issues, so was not seeing patients at the hospital, and only one full time critical care physician. And so. We were seeing what was happening in Seattle and in San Francisco and in New York and thinking that we really needed to prepare ourselves um, to make sure that we were all um, prepared for the pandemic, to make sure the hospital um, was prepared and make sure that we were all working together as a team and then also to really try to educate the community as best as possible about how the pandemic could affect Midland specifically. You know, as we're not a place with, you know, more than one hospital or just a bunch of extra doctors and nurses sitting around with, with nothing to do. So um, it was it was all for, you know, us coming together as a group and then us educating the public.
0: That's really great. What a great way to advocate for uh, for yourselves and for the community. Honestly, um, what would you like to get across to the community? So, I mean, it's changed. I mean, just as, you know, every day is kind of
4: different um, within the pandemic and things have been so different between, you know, March and today's May 5th that um, everything's been very day-to-day. And so at the beginning, it was more about, you know, really trying to work with our city government to get people to stay at home as much as possible for people to really understand what social distancing was and why that's important. Um, And it was before Governor Abbott issued his – What's equivalent of the stay-at-home order? So we were just trying to make sure that Midland was on target to be doing what what we needed to do to try to flatten the curve, so to speak, or to mitigate uh, viral transmission in our community. So um, that that was the way that we did it. And I realized that I, you know, I was trying. To- and also it was essentially a PR campaign. And so I ended up hiring a local PR firm, um, the Hancock Group here in Midland. And so they really helped us and took that part over and got got the word out um, on in different forms of social media and um, on the news and in the newspaper and just helped us to transmit our message saying that, you know, we're physicians, we take care of you all collectively collectively. Um, all the time, and so there's with there being so much i guess chatter within the media nationally, it was hard to kind of get a gauge on what was real and what were facts, and so we try to present things in a mo in the most non biased way possible, coming from caring physicians and nurses to our community and you know where we interact and people that we love. So, and then it just kind of grew in itself. It started off with six physicians and it ended up being 160 something physicians and then wow. the entire wow. advanced practice nurse group. Um, it ended up being, you know, dozens of, you know, nurses, CRNAs, PAs. It, it essentially turned out to be the entire medical community came together and, and, you know, that we all said that this was, could be a potential real threat to West Texas.
0: So I'm looking at I mean obviously we're starting to roll back into some semblance of normalcy or the new normal. What mm-hmm. does that look like for um, on the front lines because we don't we we only know what we hear. We don't see. Is there anything right. you can share with us about the experiences that uh, some of our healthcare workers are are having right now? Sure.
4: And I think that um I think that We've been very fortunate in West Texas that we haven't seen big surges like like they've seen on either coast or in big cities just because we have more physical space between us. You know, we don't typically live in um, multifamily um, housing units. We're not, you know, in big multi-story buildings. Sure. And so uh, we aren't seeing the cases that we had there and social distancing worked you know the the whole reason for doing public health measures is so that we don't see what could be the worst possible case and so that that's been really good news but i think though that the, even the the cases that have been at the hospital i think that it's going to cause some some long-term trauma for the physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists and techs and aides and janitors that have been in the hospital caring for these patients because what's different is just not being able to have any visitors. And I think that's what's going to take a toll on these healthcare workers is that they are having to act as the healthcare worker, but then they're also having to act as the patient's family because the patient's family is not physically there with them, these you know, nurses, nurses, aides aren't wanting these patients to be alone. And so when they're passing away, they're passing away with a nurse holding their hand instead of a family member.
1: Yeah, Christy, amazing. do you want to talk more about that? Well, I mean, we, we've we had a situation with just one of our staff members where a member of their family uh-huh. passed away. And, you know, they talked about they had to make a decision while this person was still in the ER whether to, you know, disconnect continue his life or whether to get him mm-hmm. to ICU to mm-hmm. live longer, but then nobody could be there. And I'm like, that was, what horrible yeah. situation, um, defi- you know, kind of defines yourself in, um, that, that you're, right. you can't be with your family member who is dying. And then once again, uh, you know, Melanie and I have uh, another friend who had a similar situation. And yes. that's just against everything that we know. It's like we get to be with our loved ones when they're dying. We want them to know we're there, you know, it makes, Makes it easier on everybody, um, you know, for them to transition to whatever the next level is and for us to be able to let them go. And so those are, right. that, that's a pretty traumatic kind of situation, Even to, whatever the recovery level is for those that are recovering isolation has
0: in that sense. I mean, we've all experienced some isolation clearly being mm-hmm. stuck at home, but isolation in the hospital, Christy, I'm mm-hmm. sure just, I mean, the whole what that does for the patient, but. Everyone there just is
1: feeling that that pain, well, I think Dr. Merritt you know talked about that a little bit earlier whenever she you know she talked about you know having to be by yourself. that speaks to our greatest fear. you know I am alone I'm yes. afraid um you know and so that can really spiral out of control and if i mean I have great respect for the nurses that and the aides that don't want people to be alone when that's happening, but that they don't have that family history they they don't have the history of who that person was they're just someone there, so you don't have to. Be alone, and I think that's just that's horrible for them as well. I mean, not ho- I mean horrible that it has to happen. Grateful that they're there, but that's got to be right. traumatic on them as well. Whenever they're thinking about their own families and thinking about wh- what they can and cannot do for other people's families.
4: So, right, and I think that's what's so different about this this disease, this virus specifically. It's it's robbed people mm-hmm. kind of of their expectations, and when okay. it it takes away their expectations, there's a lot of disappointment and grief that arises from those situations because we put mm-hmm. we put a, a lot of eggs, you know, so to speak, in a basket, thinking of how things are going to turn out. And when mm-hmm. we're all living in so much uncertainty right now, it's just a bad feeling all the way around. Um And it gets translated in, you know, in every level from our homes to our offices, to our schools, to the hospital, to, you know,
0: end-of-life care. When you uh, think about, we've talked about this also um, and have known uh, people in this situation, when there's, you know, other things are bound to happen. So whatever your emergency situation is, you're still going to have this isolation, even if it's not COVID because of our current, uh, just because of the current climate at hospitals, and so our healthcare, as we've known it, has been changed, hopefully temporarily. But that's what it's really important to get uh, people to understand. I think, mm-hmm.
4: and it, it's funny because it, you know I was advocating so much for trying to protect you know vulnerable populations, being healthcare workers and also the elderly. Well, then I had a patient who had a non-COVID related problem, so had a broken arm, so that necessitated being in the emergency room, then having surgery. Uh, which was, she was all by herself and she has memory problems. So that posed a whole other host of problems then. And then she went back to her nursing facility, but then I couldn't see her <laughs> because she was being quarantined against me. And oh, it made no. me a little, well, it made me a little mad at first, but then I was like, no, this is exactly what this nursing facility is supposed to be doing. They need to be mitigating the risk for all of their clients and so, you know, I've been in and out of the hospital. I've been seeing patients. So of course I'm putting them at higher risk. So they did the exact right thing, but it's just funny how, um, this, ju- it just changes every little aspect
1: of how we normally take care of patients. Well, like you said, it's the expectation. The expectation yes. is that whenever I'm sick, I have to be in the hospital. My doctor's going to come see me and take care mm-hmm. of me or whatever you need. And that's just different. And then to try to tell someone that. Who might be in pain or the family's far away or they're dealing with, you know, dementia or something like that. They don't understand. It's not, I mean, right. this is a really difficult time for everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: It really, it's, it really is a time of uncertainty. And, um, we think, I think about even, I mean, all of our, our clients and, uh, the clients at the recording library. I mean, these, there's, it's just extra anxiety for everyone. Uh, just every single person around. And it's not until you start to get into, you have to go to the doctor for whatever reason that it becomes real. I mean, it, it becomes real. Uh You have to go to the doctor. You have to go outside, wear a mask. You know, it's, it's just different.
3: I think Dr. Merritt had a really good point whenever she said at first, you know, she was mad that she couldn't go see her patient. And then she took the time to step back and say, wait a second, this is what needs to be done. And I think that's something that a lot of people have, they've gone through different emotions, too. And then it maybe has taken them a little bit longer to realize, oh, wait a second, this is the right choice. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be following these restrictions and social distancing protocols.
4: Because we're going to, you know, we're going to be, you know, so much fighting against ourselves and fighting against each other if we don't realize that the old ways of doing things don't work right now. And that's not to say that they're not going to work again in the future. But right now, we're all just learning something really new altogether. And so we all have to, you know, be patient with each other and, you know, really try to think that everyone's doing honestly doing their best
0: that they can right now. I agree. I think we can, as a as a community, learn so much from everything you have to share because um, because of your experiences and what our uh, medical community and our first responders are having to experience on a daily basis. I'm I'm thinking of uh, these stories, and I have a, a friend who's a nurse who's shared some stories as well of having to strip down and, you know, put everything in the wash. And, I mean, that's a lot to think about after a long day of, you know. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just completely, it,
4: it's just doing things differently. And that's, you know, the first time I went to the ER and saw a patient of mine who was under suspicion for having COVID-19. And, you know, just thinking about, you know, the car ride home, it was like, okay, what are all the places that I'm not going to touch? You know, how am I going to mm-hmm. clean up my car when I get home? You know, I had Lysol, I had Clorox wipes. You know, I called my husband. And I said, you know, open the garage door, open the laundry room door, open the 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 washing machine door, open the shower door, and so that way I could get through the house without touching anything. And then, you know, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And it's like so much of what we've done in the last few weeks has been waiting because it's you know waiting for what the governor is going to say, waiting on those test results to come back, waiting to see how the patient does and you know waiting to see if that patient's test was negative if it's not and I've been around him you know do I need to go live at my office for a month do I need to quarantine myself away from my family like it's just so it's just it's so hard to sit in all that uncertainty and so I've kind of had you know I think the first few weeks it was just I guess being scared for I mean that's Mm -hmm. probably the best emotion was just being scared and then now it's like I have to really focus on knowing that this is going to end at some point point when, I don't know, but at some point this will end and knowing that, you know, we're going to come through this stronger and then just looking at all the ways people are helping each other and all the innovation in science and all the innovation in medicine that's going to come out of this is that's how I have to kind of get through every day. Because if you focus on all the death rates and the hospital occupancy and, you know, what's happening all across the country, it's just
1: too much yes that's very inspiring right but that's one of the things that we have to tell our our clients right now is not to just sit and absorb everything you know that's on the tv or the radio or you know any podcast or anything like that it's you at some point you have to shut it all off because if you just keep ingesting that it does create that atmosphere of fear and anxiety and despair yeah yeah hopelessness Mm -hmm. so if, well, and not to put any uh, pressure on you, Dr. Merritt, but Centers is basically, uh, making our future plans based on what you guys decide, you know, the medical community, because we've chosen to trust that you guys know it more than we do. So mm-hmm. if you're saying don't open up or only open up in, you know, this situation, we are following y'all's lead. So we appreciate, um, the sleepless nights yes. that you guys are having as yes. well. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you know, I'm since I'm outpatient I'm not really on the front lines as much as a lot of my colleagues are but sure. you know I think that we are all following the guidelines and a lot of us have had to constrain you know the news that we're getting and only check mm-hmm. one or two sources I had to just kind yeah. com- kind of completely disengage from social media just do everything that I can just to make it as um just, you know, data points and that's it and just move forward. But it just so much, so much changes. And that's what's hard because I have patients that say, you know, well, my son's supposed to get married in June. What do I do about that? Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to go on a trip so-and-so in July. What about my kid Mm -hmm. going to college in the fall? And it's just, I don't know. We just have, we just don't know. We just have to take it one day at a time and sometimes one hour at a time just to figure out what's, what's the next best step. That's so
0: true. And Christy has some, uh, Some coping mechanisms for, uh, that she can share that might help some of our, uh, mental health workers and just people in general. I just, I have to say that Centers is offering, uh, some, a couple of free, two free sessions for anyone who's a first responder or, uh, healthcare
1: worker. Christy, if you want to define that. Sure. I mean, you know, we we started this um, at centers back in um, September when we had the shootings in Odessa. And we were like, you know, what can, what is something that centers can do? How do we have kind of like skin in the game to, to, to for these people to understand that we're, we're trying to give back to them. And at the time we came up with, you know, the, uh, um, the decision, well, we made the decision, excuse me, to go ahead and offer some free counseling sessions to those first responders. And when this rolled around, you know, Melanie came in the office, she goes, we can do no less than what we've done at other times of, you know, trauma or, um, you know, severe yeah, issues, yeah, crisis. And so we decided to, uh, you know, offer that to our first responders. And those are, you know, basically it's anybody that works in the hospital and doctor's offices, nurses, um, ambulance drivers, EMTs, um, policemen. Uh, but it's anyone working in the is, hospital, Anyone, Yes, anyone working in the hospital. From and if janitors call, to yeah. everyone in the cafeteria. Yeah, we there. want to offer that to all of them. And if anybody calls and says, I feel like I'm a first responder, I'm pretty sure we're not going to turn them away just because it's not somebody that I just named. So it is something that centers can give back. We want to be able to do a complete assessment to determine the needs. We'll get them started down the road of of counseling. And then some of our funders in the area have been very generous. So if it needs to go beyond the two, there's a possibility of that as well. Yes. So we wanted to to make sure that gets out there. We want to help
0: the people that are, helping yes. everyone yes. i mean without our uh healthcare workers our first responders our doctors and nurses and everyone that's in that space risking their own lives every single day we wouldn't be able to live our you know regain our normalcy so we appreciate it and we are we want to be able to support you all in any way we can on on many episodes i think
3: Maybe on all episodes we've done, we've talked about how important it is the relationship between your physical health and mental health. So
1: you oh, take yeah. care
3: of one, and the other one follows.
1: Agree. Totally agree. Um, yeah, you know, some of the some of the things that we're telling everyone, um, you know, and, and right now it's like people that are thinking about having to go back out, you know, to the workforce or to, you know, as this, the country and the state and your local community start opening back up, it's like. Equip yourself with as, as much knowledge as you can. So, like, know the plans and the pr- protocols for your a- organization. Don't show up at work the first day and go, what am I supposed to do? It's like be in contact with, you know, the people that are making those decisions. And don't even be afraid to share that, you know, what your thoughts are on it, because you're an essential part of, of what they're going to be doing. Um, planning and awareness can help you uh, quell the feelings of the anxiety. You know, t- what we talked about, turn off the news and the limit to social media. That's so important right now. Then time, find time for nature. And, you know, Dr. Merritt, I'm sure, you know, medical doctors have been telling me this for years. It's like, get outside, get some sunshine. Our <laughs> parents told us, go play outside, get dirty, do those things. Studies show that being outdoors helps with your heart rate and cortisol levels. It brings natural vitamin D. Um, you know, there are even pieces of evidence that indicate strong environmental connections are related to better performance and heightened concentration. So get out there. Keep your physical health in check. Make sure you're getting enough sleep and rest. Talk to your doctor if you're unable to sleep. Stay hydrated. Avoid excessive excessive amounts of caffeine or alcohol. Stay active. You know, like going for walks or jogs or, you know, even if you're just sitting on your front porch waving at your neighbors going by. (laughs) You can get on YouTube and find some online exercises. Uh, You know, keep a healthy diet. Fruits and vegetables are always good. Avoid excess Excessive yeah. snacking, <laughs> yeah. which is weird because right
0: now I feel like we've all gone through the stages, the the strange stages of grief in terms of food.
4: <laughs> so uh, I've been telling my patients I'm calling it the COVID nineteen twenty, and like oh, I'll try right. not to gain the COVID nineteen twenty pounds. Please.
0: Yeah, so. isn't that funny? Everyone's talking about that, and I'm thinking this is the perfect time to pick up some form of exercise or, you know, healthy eating habits, because what we can try our best to boost our immunity, except that people want carbs, (laughs) comfort, yeah, (laughs) comfort kind of thing. And that's what I, you know, it makes
4: sense because that's, you know, when we eat foods that are high in in fat or high in sugar, it triggers our dopamine pathway. And that's what makes us feel pleasure. So of course, people are going to want to eat stuff like that because they are just trying to find comforts and things that they can. But you're exactly right with, you know, just being outside is maybe a, a better option than lots of donuts. <laughs> exactly. If it
0: can work out a little more, maybe the donut won't be so bad. <laughs>
1: it's true. And you know what? It's I, this is for myself. I'm you know, speaking for everyone. But I find that the longer that we've been in this, the less I'm even worried about carbs now. It's kind of like, you know, I, this may not ever end. I better stop making banana bread. I need to start to <laughs> on something else. I mean, another thing that I think is super important right now is that we stay connected with yes. our family and friends. And if you, you know, I mean, if you can't, you know, if you can't Zoom or Facetime, at least try to talk to them, text or whatever. And then don't be afraid to talk about your feelings. It's a great time for meaningful conversations. Melanie and I talk about this all the time, and Bailey. It's like we find that our conversations are deeper and have more oh, yeah. meaning. It's not like, hey, how's how are you today? The weather's great, right?
0: Well, every business conversation, every every time I talk to someone and it's a professional conversation. It's a different world right now where it's okay to ask, so how are you? How's your family? Mm -hmm. You know, and people will just share and then you share. And before you know it, you've been on the phone forever. But then, you know, you're building bonds that are – That that's probably the beautiful thing that has come out of this is Mm -hmm. through our distance, we've come a little closer together, I think, so many of us anyway
1: yeah I would definitely agree um you know and if you find yourself i mean if it, if your daily life is being affected by you know like your your fear or your anxiety or your depression has made you unable to you know just comport your day like you would would normally do that's a time to seek professional help um whether you you know reach out to your general practitioner your doctor or you know, call centers or any other of the counseling agencies in town you know it's it, We're going to help you. I mean, that's what we're here to do, and we need people to recognize that don't minimize what your problems are. If it's affecting you, give us a call. We're going to walk you through this. That's what we're here for.
3: Yes. Right. And, Dr. Merritt, what are some ways that you personally uh, cope with stress? How do you cope with stress on a daily basis?
4: Um, so though that's important because I think that it's something that I pushed off to the side a lot before this, but I've tried to make it a very um, conscious effort because I realized that this is going to be more like a marathon rather than a sprint. And so um, so doing things like, you know, being outside, I like, I mean, it's weird, but like watering the yard, sweeping mm-hmm. off the back porch. Um, I meditate, I journal, um, just like playing games with my kids, just stuff that, you know, ways for us to interact. That's not a television. That's not a screen. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, just taking walks, walking the dog. Um, I've been trying to do Zoom calls that are kind of work with colleagues that are on East Coast, West Coast. But I mean, I've talked to physician colleagues more in the last three months than I have probably in the last 10 years. But it's wow. been really good because we've been sharing information, but then also just like you said, catching up and really checking on people and seeing how they're doing.
0: And it's, it's amazing to me. That's, that's so great to hear. Um, because I think before this happened, I'm sure you can relate to this. If we would be out and about, and I know my calendar was constantly full and Christy's and just everyone. If you ask people, how are you? People would say, well, I'm busy. I'm busy. So I was Mm -hmm. tired of responding Mm -hmm. with the busy. Mm -hmm. And so now it's different. It's like you're asking people, are you well? How are you feeling? Um, Which I think has been uh, so great for humanity. It is, and I think that, and I've been trying to counsel
4: my patients that, you know, when this is over, we need to be really thoughtful about what we add back and be very intentional about it and making sure that we're not being busy and that that's not a qualifier of doing well or being successful, that maybe doing well or being successful are that we do have enough time for self-care and we do have enough time for our families and that we're not unnecessarily busy with just junk
0: what a great message. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's perfect. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been uh, wonderfully enlightening and mm-hmm. uh, very inspiring.
3: Yeah, thank you. And before you go, what are some things that we can do as a community to support, protect our frontline West Texas?
4: I mean, I think that... One thing would be to wear a mask if you're in public. Mm -hmm. This has been kind of a hot-button topic um, that a lot of people don't want to wear it. The evidence hasn't been great, and the the CDC kept changing their minds. Uh And the evidence is good that it helps to protect transmission from me to you if I'm wearing a mask. And But I think that a lot of people have the thought that they – shouldn't have to do that. But, you know, my point that I've told business owners is you require people to wear shoes and a shirt when they come in. Why can't you require them to wear a mask? The times are different. And so I think it's just a way to be thoughtful because you never know what store you're going into. If someone who works in that store has an immune problem, if they have other medical issues, Um, it's just a way for us to be thoughtful and kind. And it's not a way to impose One set of values onto somebody else is just a way for us as a community to support each other. So that would be that would be the one thing that I would say because I I haven't really been going out very much, but I when I have seen people out, I haven't seen very many masks. So I just really hope that we continue to do what's necessary to to mitigate transmission of the virus and to really um, to protect to protect our fellow West Texans.
1: It's just a, such a small thing to do that could have such great benefits. So I mean we I wear ours when we go out. So
0: Christy just bought a whole bunch of masks for our <laughs> office. So we're all setting yeah. for our, for the That's people great. that come in. Um we we do understand and you know, it's like a seatbelt or a hard hat. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes you just right. do what you gotta do. That's right. Right. Yeah. Thank you so well, much. Thank you, and, thank you, yes, you all for taking the time you. All right. Okay. Well have Bye. a great
3: day. Bye. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you. Bye. Center
2: Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Henness. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library, 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centers, That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.